Hello, and welcome to History Through Fiction, the podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by D.G. Schulman, author of the novel Anna's Promise. A journey of rebellion and transformation threatens the bonds of love and family. Many of these immigrants that came over did not share their stories, either because they were too painful or because they were traumatic or because they just wanted to leave what they had behind them. Welcome to History Through Fiction, the podcast. I'm your host, Colin Mustful, and today I am happy to be joined by Haya Rahel Zimmerman, author of the novel, The Next Pair of Shoes. So I said to myself in my naivety, gee, it would be a shame not to write this. It actually becomes, even though it's a specific story in a specific community, it actually um, appeals to the universal element because all communities have the same human struggles. Rahel Zimmerman was born and raised in Staten Island, New York, by her immigrant Polish father and her Brooklyn-born mother. From an early age, Haya was drawn to the world of education and its endless possibilities. She earned her bachelor's degree in education from Brooklyn College and her master's in math education from the University of Maryland. Subsequently, she attended Mashan Chana and Base Rivka Seminary in New York to deepen her Jewish knowledge. Her writing takes the common experience of contemporary Jewish Orthodox life, highlighting challenges and illuminating and validating them. Today, I'll be talking to her about her novel, The Next Pair of Shoes. Well, I, w- I, w- I want to start, if you could just tell us about the historical context in which we find Froyam Grinberg and Frida Leah at the beginning of The Next Pair of Shoes. Right, so the um, historical context is in the early... 1900s, the late 1800s and the early 1900s. And, um, and this is a, a, an age where there was a lot of immigration from Europe to America. So that, that time was a very tumultuous time in history because between 1890 and 1900, there were three and a half million people who emigrated from Europe and between 1900 and 1950, there was another 15 million that left Europe. So there was a lot of, uh, uh, you know, traveling and change in history as people moved, people moved westward. So what was going on in Poland that, at that time amongst the Jewish community that kind of um, forced them to leave? There was a lot of restrictions with owning land. There were a lot of high taxes. And there were 
the occasional pogroms thrown in there for good measure. And um, earning a living was very difficult. And they were very isolated as far as the little villages go because um, they weren't able to have opportunities in the big cities. And your characters, they, they head to Argentina. Why Argentina was that a popular place to emigrate amongst Polish Jews at that time? What happened in Argentina was that the... Uh, Argentina was sparse, was sparsely populated at the time, and the liberal rulers uh, decided that they wanted to bring in more educated and enlightened people from Europe to help build the cities, farm the lands, and bring in more intellectual uh, endeavors. So they actually trained representatives who they sent to different cities in Europe and into all, a lot of the small towns, like traveling salesmen almost. And they would set up shop in these little small towns and stand in the middle of the town center on their um, on their you know crates, and they would uh, and they would publicize what was going on. They would they would entice people with promise of very cheap land, with promise of freedom from religious persecution, with um, the lure of being able to um, participate in town life and government. And it was very, very attractive. And what did they find uh, when they arrived in, in Argentina? Is, did they, they find that freedom they were looking for, or was it not all what it was like made out to be? The freedom was there. However, the farming the land was very intense, and they weren't quite used to being farmers. And so clearing property, before you can even begin to plow the land or plant anything, was years of endeavor. It wasn't a quick fix. And so many of them moved back into the city. And as people who were not able to make it as in the agricultural agricultural business moved into the city, the cities got more and more crowded and the jobs there got less and less. So it was a very difficult time period for them. I want to ask about um, historical fiction and the, the characters that you have created here. Can you talk about the value of developing these fictional characters in order to teach people about these events in history that maybe are overlooked or maybe overshadowed by the Holocaust and what happened in Nazi Germany? Right. So the period actually um, is not so well written about, but the story and the characters are really based on my grandparents' story. So it's a true story. However, it's still fictional, a fictional uh, historical novel because of the fact that I didn't know everything that happened with them during that long time period. They were separated for 17 years from the time my grandfather left Poland until the time that my grandmother arrived in New York. But their um, situation is based on um, uh, persecution and forced expulsions and people were very desirous of opportunities and safety elsewhere. So these characters had to have a lot of stamina, just stamina alone to make the long journey. The journey itself was not a safe journey, traveling overseas in those days. Many people didn't, didn't survive. And the conditions on the boats were appalling. And gradually, it became better. But at that time, it was not so safe. 
And then when they arrived, there was no one greeting them there with open arms. And what was it like for you to to get to know the characters? Because as you said, it's based on your grandparents. Maybe that's what you had in your mind as you started writing this story, The Next Pair of Shoes. But um, did they change and develop their own kind of personality as you wrote the story? Absolutely. I really grew up um, with my grandparents around the corner from me. So I knew them quite well as a child. And I had heard the story of their journey, but I didn't really know the details or the background or the circumstances. And the more that I delved into it and the more that I created their persona and their journeys and their um, experiences, it really was uh, surprising to see how strong and how determined and how brave they had to be in order to take this journey and in order to um, live in a foreign land where there was a lot of pain of separation, a lot of pain of um, guilt of what they left behind and who they left behind. And my, my characters grew and grew. And it helped me tremendously to understand what I did not understand as a child about my grandparents. I remember my grandmother used to sit outside her small store that they had and she only spoke a broken English. She never really got a good command of the language. And she didn't have a lot of friends. And she was very stoic. I don't remember her smiling very much. And she lived through the letters that came abroad from her relatives. Unfortunately, after World War II, she wasn't getting any more letters. And that was even more devastating. But I did understand how my grandparents behaved their behavior and their lifestyle, I understood now, based on what I found out in my book, in my research. And I'm curious to what um, what can readers take away about about what what this story means for us today? Like, what is the connection between this history, what your grandparents went through, uh, what that generation went through, and and what what the world is like today? Well, first of all, I must admit that there's quite a lot of people looking backwards, looking into their ancestors and where they came from and what kind of life they lived. There's like 26 million people now who have done the DNA testing. And many of them are just really curious about understanding their background because the background is what influences us. Many of these immigrants that came over did not share their stories, either because they were too painful or because they were traumatic, or because they just wanted to leave what they had behind them. But if we knew those stories, we would, we would have understood more what made them tick and why they behaved the way they did. So all their um, emotional challenge and, and coming to a new country involved not only the danger of the journey, but the language and the geography and the new customs and the loneliness and the religious challenges and jobs and finances and finding a new comfort zone. But the immigrants from yesterday are different from the ones we have today. Those immigrants, more or less, basically were welcomed. They were wanted and they were um, helped to integrate into society. A lot of the immigrants that come over now, there's a different sentiment. In other words, people say, we don't want any more immigrants. They're taking away our jobs. Or we don't want the refugees flooding our economy. 
so the feeling of immigrants today is a little bit harder, I think, than even the ones that came in yesteryear. I think that's an interesting point you made about people looking back. Uh, it certainly is very popular to do those DNA tests and to have an interest in that history. I'd like to know um, more about your background. What 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 is your cultural and religious background, and how does that... I don't want to necessarily say qualify you to write this novel, but how does it help you share that experience of the characters that you're writing about? Well, I've been very involved in Jewish communal activities in my city ever since I moved here and got married. And um, that's, that's the way that I was able to have a, um, a window into what people in the community were going through. And I've always tried to alleviate people's... Um, challenges and try to help them. And writing my novels was just sort of an extension of that. Although I never imagined I'd be a writer. I have 11 children and I was very busy with the community and I really didn't do any writing. And I only began after my oldest child went away to high school. My youngest child, sorry, went away to high school. And then I began with some online courses in writing. I actually, I, I do have a college degree in mathematics and education. However, I never really uh, looked into writing. And once I started to take the courses and started to write, I really loved it. So I saw that through writing, I could sort of uh, alleviate some of the loneliness that people had, sort of make people aware of situations that they wouldn't think about. Who is going to think about um, all of a sudden now, you know, asking an immigrant, are you lonely? Um, do you miss your old country? What are you doing now? Nobody thinks about it. And so I really wanted to bring this to the fore because there's so many immigrants among us, especially in my community where, you know, we have the moniker called the, you know, the wandering Jew. And that wasn't just all because of um, opportunities. A lot of it was be due to persecution. Um, so I needed to highlight what the immigrants uh, journey was so people could really understand that. And I think everyone in America has, there are immigrants and there, you know, a few generations back and we need to preserve that history. And I wanted to thank them because without that, we wouldn't be living in freedom. Hey listeners, this is Colin Mustful, the founder of History Through Fiction, and I just wanted to take a quick break to tell you more about the sponsor of today's episode, Anna's Promise by B.G. Shulman. David and Alexandrov lock eyes and grip each other's hands. The Cossacks gather around their commandant, cheering and howling as the two men engage in a battle of strength and positioning. The stakes are David's daughters. His determination to save them is palpable, and the reader is pulled into the scene, rooting for him to come out on top. This scene is a small taste of the rich and emotionally charged historical fiction that Anna's Promise offers. Slipping between war-torn Poland and modern American life, Anna's Promise weaves together the story of one Jewish family across three generations. The novel follows the journey of Anna, David's daughter, a young woman who endures the hardships and persecution of World War I Poland to keep a promise made to her father. In 1975, through her relationship with her grandson, Ben, 
Anna discovers the strength of her own convictions as the family battles gangsters, the law, and faces the ultimate test of love and loyalty. Your novel includes a lot of um, language that some readers might be unfamiliar with, um, but you do include a glossary. Can you can you talk about the importance of, of having that glossary? Yes. So um, I'm, I'm dealing. I, I wrote books um, in the Jewish Orthodox setting because that is where I'm aware of the sensitive issues and I can understand the language. And if I take out that special language then I'm not affecting my target audience. And I wanted to put a glossary at the back of the book, but the publisher that I'm dealing with um, does not want a glossary at the back of the book because she feels that it will alienate my target audience. So my way around that was to put my glossary on my website because she feels that these books are very, very important for my target audience, including my first book about mental illness in the community and my third book, which is about high tuition in the community when you're sending um, children, many children to school that, that uh, commands a high tuition is very difficult. And these are sensitive topics that I'm writing about. So the, um, the glossary then is, is just available on your website? Yes. Okay. I, I do find that interesting. Um, can you talk, I, I guess I'm just curious to know more about this decision to not include it in, in the printed version of the book. Um, do you feel, do they feel like it might detract or like maybe alienate some readers? Yes, because um, it's a very insular community and they try to keep out outside um, influences that could um, upset the lifestyle. And when I wrote the first book, which was a very sensitive book about mental illness, which is something that's not so spoken about in public, as in all communities, the fear was the three, three of the publishers that I sent my manuscript to said it was a very well-written book and very important. However, they didn't say it fit their appropriate criteria. And the fourth publisher was very excited, and she said, no, the very Hasidic Haredi community needs to read this book, and I want to publish it for you, but I would not put the glossary in. So, because she felt that that would alienate the target audience. Interesting. Uh, what, what has been the reception then among that target audience since the novel has come out? Um, I have had very good feedback. I have actually had um, people saying, this targets me, I understand this is me. Or people say that I wrote their journey, and they were very grateful that somebody understood them. There have been conversations that have been sparked because of the book. Um, you know, a, a novel that uses fictionary, fiction, fictional characters to portray real-life sensitive issues is very powerful. Definitely. And what about readers outside of that target, specific target audience? Because 
it is it is very good writing. It's it flows well. There's there's all the the necessary elements of fiction in there. So it certainly um, would appeal to readers outside of that audience. Um, what has that reception been like? The reception has been that because when you're talking uh, telling a story, which is a human struggle story. It actually becomes, even though it's a specific story in a specific community, it actually um, appeals to the universal element because all communities have the same human struggles. And so by portraying somebody in their culture and environment, you actually get from the specifics to the universal. Yeah, that's, that's a very good point. Well, let's talk a little bit more about the publisher that did pick up the book, The Next Pair of Shoes. Uh, is it Manusha Publishers? Manuka? Manuha. Manuha. Okay. And and uh, w- what is their their goal? And, and um, yeah, what was it like pitching to them and, and getting accepted? So they are uh, one of the newer Jewish publishers on the block. Um, they're maybe about, I don't, I can't remember, 15 years old or maybe not even, tw- maybe 20 years old. And so they are looking to upgrade the literature in the Jewish Orthodox community. And they've been doing a very, very good job of it. And that's why they're willing to take a book that might be a little bit controversial in any way. Not so controversial, because they have very strict um, censorship on what goes into their books. For example, romance is totally out, totally taboo and other things like that that would not fit in with the religious culture. But they are willing to take um, new authors, they were willing to take um, sensitive topics, and they have definitely put out a lot of, a lot more uh, well-written literature for the, for the, you know, children's age. I want to know more about your experience becoming a writer you already did talk about that a little bit. Um, I'm curious to know what kind of maybe setbacks you've you've come across because when when anyone gets started writing novels, it's it is a learning experience, not just from the writing perspective, but from the publishing and marketing perspectives. So, what have been some setbacks or some challenges you've had to overcome, and what have been some of your triumphs? Right, it's a very good question, and it's of course a very um personal question. And I, um, I never thought I would end up writing novels. I was busy with other kinds of uh, educational endeavors. However, once I started, I really began to love it. And I did find that um, the course that I took, one of the courses was about writing a young adult novel, which I never imagined I would write. However, by the end of the course, I actually had the bones of a novel and a few scenes written. So I said to myself in my naivety, gee, it would be a shame not to write this. But of course, if I would have realized how long and how many take to accomplish something like that and how much determination and resilience it would take, I don't think I would have ever started. So it's a good thing I was naive. And it took me years to finish that first book, which is now actually my third one under contract because I made all my state mistakes on that book. And um, But I continue to learn through, through novels, through workshops, and I continue to persevere. 
And um, Baruch Hashem, I have had success, but it was a very steep learning curve. I wasn't, I didn't, wasn't familiar with all the liter, literary technology, uh, uh, um, vocabulary. I wasn't familiar with the contracts. I wasn't familiar with the publishing process. I for sure was not familiar with publicity. It was all new world, far new world. Um, I do have my children who are proud of me, who are encouraging me to continue. I did get a few articles published in relation to my books, which is another whole um, side of writing. And um, I am definitely enjoying the journey. Research is also a very um, difficult thing to be sure that you're accurate with your research. And I'm still looking for new sources for that. Finding an editor has been very difficult. Editors take a lot of time and money. I, I did sell a lot of copies, but I don't know if I'll ever break even with my editing costs. Well, uh, you know, congratulations. I think that's a great point. You said it's a good thing I was naive. And I think pretty much everyone who's published a novel can relate to that sentiment. Um, but good for you for for seeing it through and continuing down down that path because I think as you mentioned too you can you continue to learn and each each new endeavor um, you just have to add to it to to figure out just how to how to how to be be a writer and how to publish books and and to reach your audience and get your stories out there. I have another book that I've been um, that is finished in an editing process right now. And it's actually about, I didn't even realize it's in your hometown, Minnesota. Okay. And it's about, um, about anti-Semitism on a very subtle level in a small town in Minnesota. And that one is Seattle, the Strawberries? No, it's a fourth one, a fourth one that I have not, okay. I haven't sent it to the publisher yet. But it also does involve something with the Indians, which I know is in your background. Um, I do have a, 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 an Indian woman as a cohort, sort of, to my main character, who in this case is not religious, and her Indian friend is sort of pushing her more in that direction, because the Indian friend is more uh, uh, truthful to her culture than my character, my main character. Okay. And what is the time period? Um, it's set in the 1960s. Now, I can't really okay. say if that's historical fiction or not, but... Um, I've been told that if it's more than 50 years old, it's called historical fiction. Is that true? I think it qualifies, yeah. Okay. Well, you're, you're very busy then. You, you've got uh, you know, a novel coming out. You've got this one that just came out and then that one that you're working on, so that must keep you busy. I have two more also in the works. One is about reincarnation, and one is about not judging other people. So have you developed a, a process and do you write at a certain time of the day or is it just whenever you can find time? Well, I think I write more in the evening and in into the night because that's when the okay. house settles down and it's quiet. Sure. And it's easier to focus then. But I find that I, I have to do a, a fairly, uh, fairly complete or not complete, but a good outline of what I'm trying to write in my novels, starting with, usually I know the beginning and the end, and then it's the tough part is filling in the whole middle. Yeah. I'm curious to know about, you know, we, you know, the, the next pair of shoes, the novel deals with uh, Jew, uh, Jews in Poland and uh, um, the persecution they faced. 
Um, but what are some of the challenges of the modern Jewish Orthodox life? Well, we have a lot of anti-Semitism right now. And um, one thing that has been ha- happening, um, which is great, a little bit behind the regular community, but slowly opening up and acknowledging some of the ills. For example, um, bullying and abuse and, uh, uh, and forming schools that can help the, um, you know, me- uh, the uh, educationally challenged child in all kinds of educational areas. And now there are many Jewish Orthodox therapists, whereas before that was very rare. So there has been a lot of progress in those areas, which is great for the Jewish community. But it's still very insular, you know, in the the real Orthodox community I'm talking about, or the Hasidic community is still very insular and tries to maintain their values and morality in spite of what's going on in the outside world which is a challenge. And there are children that, you know, choose other things as they grow up. Many don't. Um, So, yeah, it's a, but it's a beautiful world. It's a world that is very communal organized and people help each other. For example, we would make uh, two weeks of meals after childbirth. We would send to someone's house. We help each other find matches for children for marriage. Um, there's a lot of social organizations, a lot of uh, charity organizations. So it's a very communal life where people look out for each other. Well, that definitely would, I can see there'd be a lot of benefits to that. Um, and it does remind me of a statement on your website. It's, you say that your books portray real life situations to encourage communal self-reflection. And I was kind of struck by that. What do you mean by communal self-reflection? Well, sort of opening the conversation, opening the conversation about the topics that I'm highlighting mm-hmm. and, um, and, and reexamining them. There's been a lot of talk, you know, with the mental illness book, especially about how we can improve and, and provide support for those families that have someone with mental illness. Um, with immigrants over here, there's a lot of immigrants always in the Jewish community uh, and when a Jew moves to another country, they're going to gravitate to some kind of Jewish community usually. And so in my synagogue, I know there were many, uh, we have some, a few from South America and some from Europe and some from Israel. And, and um, understanding the immigrant journey is also part of, of understanding um, the community that we live in. And we try to give everyone opportunities to shine, to share their talents with the community. Well, that's, I think that's great, the work that you're doing uh, within your community and then being able to share it with others like myself who aren't as familiar with that history and with that strong-knit community. So I, I think you should be very proud. Well, thank you. My children have been proud of me, which is amazing. <laughs> well, Haya, thank you so much for joining me. Congratulations on all your books and, the, and everything that's forthcoming. And uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Same here. Thank you so much for inviting me.